Good morning. You're the one thing I We'd like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church on this missions weekend. Please stand and join us as we begin our worship together by singing our praises to God. Tribe, every 
Yeah. 
great. We've come today to worship you and to honor you, to thank you for all of your blessings to us and to our world. We know that you're here and we pray that you will help us to be so sensitive and aware and open to your presence. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. We invite you to take a moment, share a word of greeting with others who are here in worship before you're seated. highlight a few things that uh, are in your bulletin tonight, or excuse me, right after the service at 940, we have a combined Sunday school class, and uh, this will be uh, talking about uh, social justice issues of foster care, and uh, also please note that tonight we'll be gathering in the community room for uh, time to finish up our missions weekend, and uh, we hope you'll join us this evening at 6 o'clock for that. Uh, next Sunday morning, worship began at 8.29.40 and 11. There are uh, a number of prayer concerns in the bulletin. We especially want to remember uh, families connected to us who have uh, experienced a recent death. And uh, we, we want to continue to pray for them. Uh, also, there are lots of things going on in the world, particularly uh, focusing our attention on Syria and uh, the disturbing events there. Uh, we want to be praying for peace to come to that country and for the intervention of God in, in some very difficult and, and uh, disturbing circumstances. And we don't claim to know everything that's going on or the reasons behind all of it, but we know that innocent people are suffering, and we want to pray for God's grace in that situation. The history of uh, Native American ministries goes back to the mid-1930s. Uh, the work began among the Lakota people on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and has continued to grow and develop and change in the years since. And out of this work, churches were started along with the uh, Christian Brainerd Indian School. The goal of Wesleyan Native Ministries has continued to be a catalyst for personal and community transformation among Native peoples and communities living in some of the most under-resourced communities in North America. Rich Avery, who is our speaker today, was named the director of Wesleyan Native Ministries in 2008... And uh, his call, he senses God's call in his life to raise awareness and to help with funding for the ongoing work of empowering Native leaders to reach their people for Christ, transform their communities across North America through leadership development, church multiplication, compassionate outreach, and community development. 
it's uh, especially meaningful to me uh, to have Rich here and to be focusing on Native Ministries. When I was in high school, I went with the team from our church in Indiana to work a couple of weeks on uh, at Brainerd Indian School. And it's, it's, it's something that I've never forgotten. It's made a great impression upon me. And uh, just the needs that were so prevalent among uh, people living in America. And uh, so, much, so much that needed to be done. And still, so much needs to be done in reaching, uh, reaching Native people for Christ. And I'm so pleased to have him here to speak uh, today and, and also tonight. Uh, we, in connection with that, we have a group of, of uh, college students and some community people who will be leaving on the 23rd for about 10 days of, of ministry in South Dakota as uh, part of uh, Native ministry there. And uh, some of them are, are in the service now. They'll be in different service throughout the morning. But we're going to take a few moments to uh, offer prayer for them. And I'm going to ask those who are here in the service to come and stand here in front. And then I'd like to ask those of you who would like to come and stand around them, lay hands on them, and uh, surround them as we pray for them in preparation for their trip. You just stand around in front of them, and that's fine, too. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for every person who will be a part of this team going to South Dakota in a couple of weeks. We believe that... There are great things you want to do in their lives and great things that you want to do in the lives of other people that they touch while they're there. We know that uh, this trip is, is brief and in the large scheme of things, it's a small part of it. But it is a part of it. And we believe that you want to use and can use and will use their willingness to go and to give of their time and their energy and their resources to help people know that you love them and that there are people in this country and in this world who are thinking of them and praying for them and caring for them. Lord, we pray that you will help them as they go to have strength. We pray that you protect them from um, injury and accidents and anything that that the enemy might bring to, to lessen the effectiveness of their trip. And we pray, Father, that, that you will give to them all that they need to bear witness to your love to the people they encounter. We pray that you would bless the group meetings that they have and and the times when they're in churches and ministering to to larger groups of people, but also for those one-on-one moments, sitting around a dinner table or in someone's home or walking outside, that that you would bless those encounters in a way that, that changes people's lives for eternity. Lord, thank you for each one standing before us and all the others who will be going. And we ask that that this, this group of 15 people would be changed as they make this trip and return 
and that the people they encounter might be changed as well. So we pray you would pour out your blessing upon them and go with them and we send them forth in the grace and power and spirit of Christ. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Thank you. Our scripture reading this morning is from the first <clears throat> excuse me from the first chapter of the book of James. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, that will be found on page eleven ninety-six. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. This is the word of the Lord. At this time, we will wait upon you for your morning offering. The ushers will please come forward. Children ages 2 to 5 may be dismissed for Children's Church. The song that we're going to be singing for the offering today is one that we're going to be teaching you. It's called Jalali Yesu, which is Urdu for Almighty Jesus. Urdu is the language, it's the um, official language of Pakistan. It's spoken predominantly by Muslims in Pakistan and in other places of the world. Um, most of the song, however, is in English, so don't be scared. All you have to know how to say is Jalali Yesu. So let's try that. Jalali Yesu. Very nice. We'll go ahead and sing the first verse and chorus. And then um, if the trays have, wow, they're already almost done, I'll have you guys stand and you can sing it with us.
stand with us. Scriptures tell us that God cares for all people, and uh, cares for you and for me, and He cares for people all over the world. And on this weekend, when we are specifically focusing on the world, as we enter this time of prayer, I'd like for you to to think about uh, a nation, a people group that uh, you can focus your prayers on as we pray today. And we certainly want to pray for the needs that are connected to us, and that's important to do that. But we also want to pray for others as well. And so as we pray together today, we'll have some time for silence that will allow you to to focus your prayers on a particular people group, a particular nation that God lays on your heart. And this morning, as uh, you may want to come to the altar and pray, to pour out your heart for that particular group or particular group of people nation that God has uh, put upon your heart to pray about this morning. So if you'd like to use the altar to pray, I invite you to join me. Father, this morning, there are many things about life that we might feel uncertain about. But of one thing, we are fully certain. That you love the whole world. And your purpose is to redeem the whole world 
through Christ. This morning we're thinking of people who have given of themselves so that the world would know your love. We think of your people that are living and witnessing and working in places in this country and around the world that are outside of their home and their their normal comfort zone. We ask, Father, that you will bless them, that you will encourage them, that you will lift them up today and may they know in a very special way, perhaps in a new way, your grace upon their lives and to know that you are at work whether they see the kind of results that they would want or not. Father, we pray for the nations of this world, some large, some small, some with great influence, some hardly noticed, some very prosperous, some ravaged by disease, famine, drought, some that exist in relative peace, some that know virtually nothing but war and rumors of war and the constant threat of war. We pray, Father, for a nation, a people group that are on our minds today. And we ask as we pray that you will work miraculously among them as only you can do. Father, we also pray for the needs right around us. We ask that you would heal all who are sick. We pray that you would comfort everyone whose life has been turned upside down by grief. Give hope to all who feel hopeless. Peace to all who are struggling with fear and uncertainty. And for our own lives, we pray that you would forgive us for our sin and give us a deeper desire for you. That you would open our hearts to one another and open our hearts more and more to have your mind about the world. Father, we want to be people of great faith and great courage. People of, of great joy and people of great love. We ask that it will be so through the grace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who teaches us the model for prayer, which now we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please stand with us. Take all I am, Lord, and all that I cling to. You are my Savior, I owe everything to. Take all the treasures that lie in my storehouse. They cannot follow when I enter your house. So I surrender. Good morning. 
Thank you so much for that great time of worship. It's a blessing for me to be here and to worship with you this morning and to see the team being commissioned that's coming out to serve in South Dakota later this month. I'm really blessed and grateful for the chance to be here at Houghton Wesleyan Church and to share with you this weekend on your missions weekend. Now, I know some of you looking at me um, are a little bit disappointed because when you heard about someone from the Wesleyan Native Ministries coming, you probably assumed I'd at least be Native. And so I apologize, I'm not Native myself, although my wife and I are working on our own tribe. Uh, We have five kids so far, uh, ages 5 to 15, and they uh, keep us busy, and we are blessed and grateful for them. Well, if I'm not Indian, at least you could probably think, well, at least maybe I'd be a cowboy from out west. And I'm not really that either. I'm from West Michigan, which doesn't really quite count as being out west, although we did send you the snow that you're enjoying right now, so I hope you appreciate and can enjoy that. Well, Wesleyan Native Ministries has been around, as Pastor West said, for over 60 years. And we've been uh, blessed to partner with you to um, reach out to Native and First Nations people all across North America. Native Americans or First Nations people are among the poorest of the poor in the U.S. and Canada, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. Unemployment rates are sky high in many of the communities where we work, up to 90% unemployment in some places. Uh, Very few people have jobs or opportunities to find jobs. Depression rates and suicide rates are twice or three times, sometimes almost four times the national average, especially for suicide rate. And sadly, very few Native people follow Christ. Hope you'll come back tonight. We'll talk more about that, more about our ministry to bring hope and change in Native communities, and more about how your partnership with us is really making a difference as we together equip and empower more and more Native men and women to be pastors and leaders and to reach their people for Christ all across North America. So please come back and uh, join us for that. Also, before I forget, I'd like to point out a couple of things that we have at our booth today uh, out in the back corner. First, I've got a gift for you, an ink pen. And I know all of us can always use another pen, so stop by and pick one of those up. Also, I have our prayer calendar. If you're a person that likes to pray for the ministries that you support, I hope you'll stop by and pick one of those up. It's got a different prayer focus each month. We've already missed January, sorry, but we still have lots of February left. And hope you'll stop by and pick that up out there at our booth. Well, our topic today is representing God in a needy world. And our theme verse is James 1.27. Let me read that again for us this morning. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Let's pray about that this morning. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the privilege of being here in your house, the privilege of worshiping you freely, Lord. And thank you for the love that you've freely given us, Lord. And it's a love that should motivate us, Lord, to give and to serve and to bless the lives of others. So guide us and help us, Lord, as we look into your word today. Help us, Lord, uh, to not just be hearers of your word, but help us to do what it says, Lord, and to represent you in a needy world. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, James 1.27 is a passage that I find absolutely fascinating for what it says and really for what it doesn't say about a religion or a faith that is pure and honors God. First, let's take a little uh, look at the background or history of the book of James. Uh, James is writing here to uh, a Jewish people who became followers of Jesus Christ. And now they're scattered all across 
all across the world. So these are people that grew up in the church, if you will, like many of us. They grew up as Jewish people going to services uh, on a regular basis, giving of their tithes and offerings, trying to keep themselves from, from obvious sin, trying to keep the whole law as best as they could. They were concerned about personal piety and, and holiness. Uh, and then they became Christ followers, and, and, and so they've been uh, following God as a Jew and now as a Christian but something must have happened here in their religious practice. Because throughout this letter, James is reminding them over and over what pure religion or what true faith really is. It isn't just about going to church and, and hearing God's word. It isn't just about avoiding the obvious sins that we know are wrong. It's also about doing what the word says. It's about caring for those who are poor and vulnerable in hurting it's about representing God in a needy world. Throughout this letter, we see here that James is talking about <clears throat> not just being a hearer of the word, but also being a doer. In James 1.22, he says, Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves, but do what it says. And later in James 2, verses 14 to 26, he says that faith without works or without actions is dead. He explains that we can't, uh, he says that we can prove that our faith is alive by doing the good works that our Father has given us to do. And that line of thinking really reminds me of a verse that I learned as a, as a child, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now really, uh, truth be told, I, I really memorized only Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Um, I didn't discover verse 10 until later in life. I don't know what happened, how it got disconnected. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says it's by grace we're saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not by work so that no one can boast. So I learned that we were saved by grace. Nothing we can do to earn it or merit it. I discovered that I was saved from sin. But I didn't connect verse 10 which says I wasn't just saved from sin. But I was saved for something. For I was created in, as God's workmanship. Uh, created to do good works which he prepared in advance for me to do. I didn't realize that I was, wasn't just saved from something. I was saved for something. Certainly wasn't saved by my good works, but saved for the good works that God prepared long in advance for us, for me to do. So here with our theme this weekend, our theme verse, James one twenty seven, James is hearkening back to a call that we read all throughout the Old Testament. A calling that these Jewish Christian believers certainly should have heard and should have remembered after all those years. Certainly should have been very familiar to them. But apparently they had lost sight of this call. That God's people are to care for the widows and the orphans, the needy and the oppressed. But why should we care about those hurting and needy people? Because God cares about them. Because they are very close to the heart of God. Psalm 149 says, The Lord watches over the alien and sustains or nourishes or cares for the fatherless and the widows. But he frustrates or turns upside down the ways of the wicked. Psalm 68.5 says, A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Have you ever met someone and wondered what they were really like at home? Maybe you're thinking that about me, or certainly Pastor Wes. Are we really the kinds of people that we are at home like we are in public. That image that we portray in public or that we, that we show at work or here at church, are we really the way 
we are uh, also at home. We often discover that a person's true character is exhibited at home, don't we? How they treat their spouse, their children, their neighbors, their dog. Psalm 68.5 says, if we really want to get to know who God is, if you really want to understand his character, take a look at how he is at home. In his holy dwelling. And it tells us right here. The more we read God's word, the more we seek his face, the more we get to know God and discover his real nature, we find that he is loving and kind. And that he is on the side of the poor, the needy, and the oppressed. I think somebody needs to hear that today because of what you're going through right now. You need to hear that God is on your side. Is it any wonder then that James would tell the people and tell us that pure religion or true faith... Faith that passes muster with God would compel us to be concerned about the very people that God is concerned about. To care for the orphans, the widows, the needy, and the oppressed. No, we shouldn't be, uh, shouldn't be um, uh, surprised by that at all. Because at home, at God's deepest nature, he cares about the poor and needy. And his home isn't just in heaven, is it? Where else does God live? In our hearts, if we put our faith and trust in him. So what happened then to cause some of these people who were once faithful hearers of God's word to get off track and to stop putting their faith into practice? How do they lose sight of God's heart for the poor and the needy and neglect to do anything to help them? I think it must have something to do with the second uh, half of this verse where James warns them and warns us about not being polluted or corrupted by the world. What does James mean by that? And how does that happen? Well, I think Jesus explained a similar situation in the parable of the sower and the seed. Recorded in Mark chapter 4. It's a familiar story to us, isn't it? The sower goes out and plants some seed. And some falls on hardened ground. And some falls on some ground where it starts to take root. But then the, the, uh, the weeds come and choke it. The birds come and eat it. It shows us different examples of soil. But look in Mark 4, verse 18 through 19. And Jesus explains here a situation that I think speaks to us today about being corrupted by the world. In Mark 4, 18, he says, Still others, like the seed sown among the thorns, hear the word. They accept the word. They hear it. They listen to it. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things comes in and chokes the word, making it unfruitful. I think what happened with those Jewish believers, and I think what happens to us many times, is that we let the cares of this world lull us into losing sight of what's really important. Maybe those people got too busy making a living or living their life. Uh, to see the needs of others and to be motivated to take action, to do something to help meet those needs. Maybe they started thinking that it was just enough to go to church and to to do the right things and to avoid the obvious wrong things, that maybe that was all that God expected or required of them. But when we read this verse from James 1.27, it's really a warning against letting the world pollute or corrupt us. I don't know about you, but I think for myself, the, the real danger for, for me is not that the, I'm going to be tempted to do something blatantly evil and wrong. Although, we certainly all 
can face that in our lives. But I think the worst thing is that we'll just get so busy living our lives that we won't have the eyes to see the needs or think that we have the time to do something to help or to feel that we have the resources to be able to to act on those needs or the heart uh, that, that is willing to serve. I'm becoming more and more convinced in my own life that the world's ways of attempting to corrupt and pollute me are, pollute me are more covert than overt. It's not some big decision that forces me to go against God's will, but it's little compromises that I'm tempted with every day. It's little steps of obedience that I fail to take. I know God wants me to take them, but I don't. It's the busyness that keeps me from seeing the needs that are all around me, the selfishness that causes me to think that what I have is all mine and uh, belongs to no one else. It's seeing the needs, but thinking that their problems really don't need to become my problems or Or thinking that someone else surely will go and do that or help meet that need. Or to think that I don't have the ability or the money to help. I think it's it's thinking that my mission on earth is just to have a nice job and a nice family and, and to make as much money as I can and have as much fun as I can before I die. It's forgetting that my true calling is to represent God in a needy world. So here James is telling us that if God's love is truly within us, it'll move us, it'll compel us to love God back by loving our neighbor as ourselves, by being concerned about the needs of others, and especially those who are most vulnerable. If God's love is truly alive within us, we'll represent God, really we'll be his ambassadors in a needy world. Has anyone ever met an ambassador, like a true living representative from some other country? Or anyone ever been to an embassy? No, uh, no. You have? Whereabouts? Uh, Wow, awesome. That's cool. Well, I wish I had time to have you come and share some of those experiences. (laughs) But we don't. (laughs) But what is an ambassador? It's a representative of some other nation, uh, from one nation to another. So the ambassador from the U.S. to the Czech Republic is a representative of our country in the Czech Republic. And their job is, what, to pursue their own agenda? No. It's to pursue the agenda that their leader sends them there for. Their job isn't to go and, and do what they want to do, right? But no, it's to do the actions that their leader calls them to do. The, the job of the ambassador is to speak for the leader and to speak the very words. Uh, the, the U.S. ambassador to the Czech Republic, his words carry the weight, the authority of the leader from the United States, the president who sent them. They do what their leader would do if, if they were present in that situation. And I think so it is for us today as ambassadors or God's representatives in a needy world. To do his bidding, to do the work he's called us to do. The work he would do if he were here in the flesh. Because he is here in the flesh, working in and through us. I think God knew that we'd struggle with this issue of being his representatives in a needy world. Of caring for the needs of others and not letting the busyness of the world blind us from seeing the needs. Or from believing that God could use us to do something about meeting those needs. So he's shown us some examples that Jesus modeled for us of how uh, he instructed and equipped his disciples to be his representatives in a needy world. I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. I'm not sure what version of the Bible you came with today, but I'm going to read it from the message paraphrase. Uh, Matthew 9, 35 to verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 10. 
And so if you don't have the message, you can just kind of listen along or you can try to follow along in your, in your version. But we, we find here that Jesus is going around through all the towns and villages in the area. And he taught people in their meeting places. He reported kingdom news. He healed their diseased bodies, healed their bruised and hurt lives. But when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. So confused and aimless they were, like sheep without a shepherd. What a huge harvest, he said to his disciples. How few workers on your knees and pray for harvest hands. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says, The prayer was no sooner prayed than it was answered. Jesus saw the incredible needs, called his disciples to pray, and then he said, guess what? You are the answer to those prayers. Jesus called them to go out, and he he sent them into the ripe fields. Don't be surprised uh, when you see a need and when you pray about something. God, won't you do something to help solve this problem or meet this need? Don't be surprised if he doesn't tap you on the shoulder and say, I put that need on your heart for a reason so that you could go and do something about it. It says here, he gave them power to kick out the evil spirits. He gave them power to do that and to tenderly care for the bruised and hurt lives. And then he goes and tells us who the 12 were. Then in verse 5, Jesus gives them some instructions that I think are instructive for us today. He says, don't begin by traveling to some far off place to try to convert unbelievers. And don't try to be dramatic by trying to tackle some public enemy. Just go to the lost, confused people right here in the neighborhood and tell them that the kingdom is here. Bring health to the sick, raise the dead, touch the untouchables, kick out the demons. You've been treated generously, so live generously. I think what Jesus is saying here is that we don't need to feel overwhelmed by all the world's problems or feel like we have to tackle all of those in one instance. Just do something about the needs you already know about, the needs that you already see around you, the burdens God's already placed on your heart. And if you don't know any, just look for needs and opportunities in your own spheres of influence, in your school or church or workplace or community. And then take a step to do something, to help. In verse 9, he says, don't think you have to put on a fundraising campaign before you start. You don't need a lot of equipment. You are the equipment. And all you need to keep that going is three meals a day. And his last words here were, travel light. Don't think you have to know what it all that it takes to meet the needs that come your way. Don't think you have to get it all figured out when you, when you learn about a need. Just, just take a step. God's already, given us the represent, God's already given us the resources we need to be his representatives in a needy world. He's given us our own personality, our, our skills, our abilities, our spiritual gifts. He's given us a sphere of influence that we can draw upon, financial resources that he's already given us. But what intrigues me the most is the last words that he said there. Travel light. I think it's another warning not to get too weighed down by our lifestyle. And the accumulation of stuff so that we don't see the needs or that we're not able to quickly respond to meet those needs. There's nothing that, well, there's lots of things that break my heart. I'm not sure. I was going to say nothing breaks my heart more. I'm not sure if that's true. But one thing that dearly breaks my heart is to meet young people who feel a call 
to ministry, who feel called to go and go somewhere and serve for God, but they can't because of their debt load, whether it's school debt or personal debt they've accumulated, and it holds them back and keeps them from traveling light. And friends, all of us, I think, can relate to that. No matter what age or stage of life we're in, there are things that hold us back. But Jesus calls us to travel light. Jesus gets a little more uh, practical in the how-tos in another example where he feeds the 5,000. And I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and we'll take a look at that situation. Mark six thirty, Jesus is feeding the 5,000. His disciples are all around him. And all these people were coming to Jesus and, and wanting to, to hear from him. And so he uh, touched them and he blessed them. He had compassion on the crowd. Uh, chapter 6, verse 34 says, Again, like sheep without a shepherd. So he taught to them and he blessed them. But it got to be late in the day and the disciples saw that it was, it was uh, time for people to go. People were getting hungry. They needed to go and, and take care of themselves. So the disciples go and they tell Jesus, send the people away. Jesus, do something. God, do something to meet this need. They're, the people are hungry. And what does Jesus say to them? You do something. You give them something to eat. And then they say, well, Jesus, look, it would take a year's wages to... You don't seriously think that we're going to be able to do something to help meet this need and feed all these people, do you? And Jesus asked them, well, what do you have? What resources are at your disposal? How many loaves do you have? Go and see. So he sends them to go and, and, and figure out, okay, what resources do we really have to be able to tackle this problem that God has given us? They come back. They've added it all up. We have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, that's enough. Basically, it was lunch money, right? It was some little boy's lunch. And Jesus took what the disciples added up. And he blessed it and he multiplied it. The need was met. The people were fed and blessed. And there was plenty left over. There's one thing that amazes me about God is that his math isn't our math. We can see a huge problem and a need and we can add our resources up and say, God, this doesn't add up. There's no way that we could do something to help meet this need. But his math is not our math. When God encounters a need, he doesn't add. He multiplies. And friends, when we see ourselves as God's representative in a needy world, when we see the needs and take some steps to meet those needs using the resources that we have at our disposal, even if it's just lunch money, as limited as our resources are, and they always will be limited in our own mind. But God multiplies them. He can meet the need and even make sure there are leftovers. As we read in that feeding of the 5,000, there was plenty left over. God works through the resources that we have, our faith, our skills, our abilities, our personal connections, people that we know that can help, and he makes miracles happen. So let me ask you today, what if we held our lives up to the light of James 1.27? Is your faith one that would look after the, the needy and the vulnerable? Do you have a growing awareness of the needs of others and a desire to do something to help? Or are you letting the world slowly pollute or corrupt you subtly in ways we don't even realize by thinking that we don't have the time or the resources 
to do something to meet the needs that are right here before us. Know this today, that God is still calling us. He's still calling you to be his representatives in a needy world. I'd like to ask you today, is there any uh, burden or need that you've had on your heart for a while? Maybe something that you've had a passion for long ago, but you gave up. You just thought there was no way you could do something about it. Or is there anything recently that's piqued your interest, some uh, uh, issue or, or need that you know about that you think you should do something about but you haven't done something yet? Maybe it's a missions project you've heard about. Maybe it's a local community need. Perhaps it's a big issue like human trafficking. Or maybe it's literally caring for orphans and widows in your area. Maybe by going to a nursing home or by fostering or adopting a child. Maybe it's Native Americans and you want to do something to help there. Or a need expressed by someone at your school or workplace or health club or wherever it is that you go. Recognize today that God has called you to be his representatives in a needy world. Realize that he's given you all the resources you need to respond the way that he would have you respond. You have what it takes because you have God's love within you. Pray and ask for wisdom. Ask for God's help. And then just take that first step. Don't wait. Don't think that someone else is going to do it. Do whatever it is you sense God telling you to do. And watch to see how God uh, takes what you, what you offer him. The resources you have and how he multiplies it. A friend of mine named Claire DeGraff uh, wrote a book recently called The Ten Second Rule. He found that in his life... God was always prompting him to say something to someone, to meet this need over here, to go and help um, in some way with a cause or situation he heard of. But he found it was so easy to justify that away or to kind of put it aside saying, I'll do it later, and then he would forget about it. Or, or, to, or to feel like, God's really not seriously wanting me to, to say that to them. Is he? And so God really burdened him about that one day. And he said, you know what? God expects my obedience to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And if I don't do something within 10 seconds, I want to justify it away or, or forget about it. And it'll be gone. So his 10-second rule is when I feel the Holy Spirit prompting me to do something, I'm going to respond within 10 seconds. I'm going to write it down or I'm going to go and make that phone call or say that word or, or stop to help that person within the next 10 seconds before he forgets to do it. His uh, motto really is to, to just do the next thing you're reasonably sure Jesus would have you do. And so, friends, I invite you today, whatever situation, whatever burden, whatever thought you have that God places on your heart, let's get good at responding to those promptings and to obey and to do it within 10 seconds before we can justify it or forget about it or lose it. Just do the next thing you're reasonably certain Jesus would want you to do. So what, what difference will it make? What would it look like here in Houghton, here in our own families, uh, if we faithfully represent God in a needy world? Our obedient action to care for the needy and vulnerable, I think will not only help our faith to come alive more and more within us in new and fresh ways, but it'll be a real blessing for people in need. Lives will be changed and will make God look good as people give testimony to what his people are doing to meet the needs around them. And it'll expand his kingdom as more and more people are drawn 
to the love of Christ. A love that puts faith into action. I'd like to pray about that with you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to hear again from your word today. Lord, to be challenged to be your representatives in a needy world. Lord, it's easy to get overwhelmed by the needs. It's easy to think that someone else is going to do it, Lord. It's easy to think that we don't have the resources or the abilities, that we're too old, we're too young, we're... We've done that in the past, Lord. We, we forget that you're still calling us today. No matter what we've done in the past for you, Lord, you're still looking for us to be obedient today. To be a representative, Lord, in a needy world. So, Lord, whatever promptings you've put on our hearts right now, whatever situations we encounter this week, Lord, help us to be faithful, to respond, and to offer to you what we have, Lord, and who we are. And will you take it, Lord, and multiply it? And build your kingdom, we pray. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to leave you with one last thought today. And it's something that uh, has really been meaningful to me. And so I've taken the liberty to uh, print it out and to leave it at our back table. And so if you might find uh, meaning in it today, I invite you to stop by and pick it up as a reminder today. It's a quote from Richard C. Halverson. Uh, He was... uh, a pastor uh, for a number of years and the chaplain of the United States Senate uh, many years back in, the, uh, back in the 90s, I think, 80s and 90s. I want to leave uh, you with his words today. You go no place by accident this week. Wherever you go, Christ is sending you. You are nowhere by accident this week. Wherever you are, Christ has placed you. Because wherever you go and wherever you are, Christ has a job he wants to do there. And he can only do it in your body. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing.
receive the benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen.